Worldview truth. Is that all truth is relative to a group or individual. Truth is what is for you, is what you want to make of it. But maybe it may not be true for somebody else. Most of us in this room believe that there is a standard of truth that can be identified in a biblical context. In today's culture, you can identify as anything and anyone that you choose. You may select your gender. In fact, in New York City, there's a total of 31 genders um, that you can choose, and it's legally protected um, in the state of, uh, of uh, New York. You may do anything or identify as anything that you want to identify as. You can identify as a cat. You can identify as a dog. Recently, in Hernando County, Florida, there is a teacher that is now identified as a mermaid. I'm not sure how that works, but uh, that's, that's where we're at. Postmodern philosophy has moved into all aspects of the American family and religion toward a belief system that there is no absolutes, and truth is whatever you want to make it to be. If an individual or group or religion attempts to live by universal principles of truth, they are targeted as being inherently oppressive and intolerant. This postmodern philosophy has in, is inserted its influence in all aspects of American culture, religion, and government. In recent times, we've seen the power of major corporations pushing these agendas through product marketing, internal employee control, social media organizations that are canceling those who speak out or have a different point of view. Ultimately, the family carries the brunt of this philosophy and it's been forced on the American people. While the family is the foundation of society, the influences of government, entertainment, education, media, and business are destroying the absolute truths. Today we have a fantastic panel, and I'm going to go just real briefly, I'm going to go through um, each of our panel members. And then after that, I'm going to ask each of you just to give like a three-minute overview of your organization and uh, some of the battles that you're fighting. It's three minutes, so, so you're going to have to make it uh, very, very brief. Uh, first of all, to my right, we have Patty Sullivan. She has worked in organizational management, consulting, and leadership development for 35 years. Since 2012, Patty has served as a state coordinator for Parental Rights Florida working with Florida legislators to pass good parental rights uh, laws for Florida families. In 2018, she presented a simple rights language to Representative, now Senator, Aaron Graw. Representative Graw became um, a sponsor, a principal sponsor of Parents' Bill of Rights. Patty then mobilized a grassroots movement of Florida parents uh, to support the parents' rights bill and engagement in the legislative process. After a three-year push, the parental bill of rights passed and was signed into law by Governor DeSantis in 2021. The bill emerged as law just as a nationwide parental rights movement began to take shape. Uh, the parental rights movement and legislation continue to make progress across the nation. Patty also serves on the National Board of Parental Rights Foundation uh, parentalrights.org um, is a website. She uh, continues to serve as valuable resource within the parental rights movement for local, state, national organizations. 
She provides uh, parents and citizens with understanding of parental rights issues uh, being engaged in the legislative process. Patty is married to Jim for 34 years. Their beautiful miracle daughter was born at the 17 year mark of their marriage. And then also to my right, we have Roger Ganim. He's Assistant Vice President of Legal Affairs for Liberty Council, an international nonprofit litigation, education, and policy organization dedicated to advancing religious freedom, the sanctity of life, and the family. With offices in Florida, Virginia, and Washington, D.C., Liberty Council fulfills its Christian mission through many pro uh, projects and initiatives, including strategic litigation in state and federal courts. Uh, Roger grew up in Jacksonville, Florida, the great-grandson of a Lebanese Christian immigrant who came to America in 1910, seeking freedom from oppression, um, Ottoman rule. Growing up in a Navy family, Roger earned a bachelor's degree in finance from the University of North Florida and a law degree with honors from University of Florida Levin College of Law. Roger spent the first six years of his career in Jacksonville with two international law firms gaining extensive experience in complex, in complex business litigation and class actions. Roger spent the next eight years with a Jacksonville firm where he became a partner and expanded his practice to include religious liberty cases and advancing and advising public officials in publics on free speech, religious liberty, and other constitutional matters. Roger joined Liberty Council in 2012 after sensing God's call to take up the full-time defense of our most cherished freedoms. Since then, Roger has participated in strategic litigation involving biblical marriage, pro-life, religious freedom, and religious free exercise, including many critical cases uh, challenging the discriminatory censorship of young counselors um, and religious worship. Roger has appeared on a number of Fox News um, of television and radio and print media outlets, including CNN, bless you for that, uh, Fox News, NPR, and New York Times. Roger and his wife, Joy, raise her son and daughter in Central Florida. And then we have also um, over here to my right, uh, Karen Jork. Uh, she graduated from the University of South Florida with an engineering degree and worked in a major defense contractor in Orlando area before becoming a full-time stay-at-home mom uh, to her and her husband, Mike, for, Mike's four children. Let me rephrase that. <laughs> Let me say that again. She wasn't the you weren't the mom to your husband. You were the mom to the to the four children. Okay, we've got that straight. All right. In 2009, <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble. I can tell. In 2009, she uh, she followed her passion in politics and volunteered for conservative candidates and causes, which eventually morphed into a full-time work. For the past 10 years, Karen has been um, the Florida director, state director for Heritage Action an advocacy arm of Heritage Foundation. And then to my immediate left, we have Rebecca Ricks. She's been active in politics and in community since college, including working for several politicians. She is the founder of Moms for Medical Freedom and the president of Florida Moms for America, uh, whose mission is to build the foundation of liberty in the homes of America. Uh, through the Mothers of America, to raise a new generation of patriots and heal our nation from the outside, from inside out, I'm sorry. 
And then, uh, last but not least, we have, uh, to my left, we have Keith Flaw. Uh, he's a retired IBM executive, years of experience in finance and marketing. His education includes a BS in forestry science and an MBA. He is a U.S. Army veteran. He considers himself a U.S. original constitutionalist and is fed up with how our political system has been hijacked by both monopoly parties and the federal government. Their policies and abuse of our U.S. Constitution are bankrupting us morally and financially. Uh, Keith is managing director of Florida Citizens Alliance, which in, in four short years has become a respected um, advocate for K-12 education reform in Florida based on the fundamental values and principles of liberty which Keith pursues um, with unrelenting passion. Uh, we have, um, I'm going to get you to just give a really, really fast overview of your organization. I'm going to start to my left with Rebecca Riggs and just give us, a, and I'm going to pass the mic and you can just, um, in three minutes though, okay, three minutes. Here we go. Um, kind of an overview of what our, our organization has done. Yeah. Okay, so Moms for America, we believe Florida Moms for America says that every issue is a mom issue. So every single thing that goes on in legislation every day affects us. And so we want to make sure that we are an advocate or a voice for for moms all across the state. And as I look around at the people at this table, a lot of you, you know, Patty does parental rights and Keith does um, uh education, <laughs> the things that Keith has done, we want to come alongside and be the support for that. We want to be the moms who are on the background, who are on the ground, because moms sometimes can't do everything. Not every mom can go to Tallahassee, but you can. Not every mom can um, get up and do all the things, speak, but we can do a lot from home. We can make phone calls. We can support. We want to be the support for that. So this year, really, um, in the past year, we took a big part in HB1, which is... Um, school choice bill and i really feel like god opened doors for us to be able to talk to legislators about different things um, and have us come in and, and speak about homeschooling and why that was really important to us um, and and things like that right now for our next coming year we um, are working on some legislation for human trafficking and especially child trafficking here in florida to make sure those things are stopped and we i still have a heart for medical freedom and that was one of the very first things i feel like in the last three years everybody at this table has been in crisis mode there have been crisis after crisis after crisis that we've had to fix. And so we've just tried to come alongside a lot of the groups who have that. So sometimes not everybody can be an, an, an expert. Not every mom can be an expert in everything, but we can be a help. We can be a voice and we can come alongside to support that. So that is really our mission because we think the mom is the heart of the home and the home is the heart of our community. And if you can reach your homes, you can reach your community. And that starts all the way up from voting to making sure our right legislation gets passed. So that's really my heart and our goal of our organization is to support these other organizations who can go and do that and make sure that our voices are there to be heard in the future. Okay, my name is Karen Jarosh. I'm with an organization called Heritage Action. We are the advocacy arm of the Heritage Foundation. Um, that is a conservative think tank based in Washington whose goal is to see um, freedom, opportunity, and prosperity flourish in our great nation. Um, so education is definitely one of our uh, policy planks. Um, we are um, involved in other areas. Um, we are looking to secure our borders. 
Um, we work on elections, reversing the spending and regulations that are coming out of um, Washington, D.C., countering the threat of China, communist China, uh, big tech policy, and last but not least, probably first, is protecting unborn and family formation, which I think we're going to talk a little bit about today. Thank you. Uh, my name is Keith Flaw. I'm a co-founder of Florida Citizens Alliance. Uh, we're a grassroots coalition and now over 250,000 Floridians, uh, two-thirds of which are uh, parents with kids 17 and under in the home. Uh, we have, um, we focus in three pillars. Uh, we focus in the legislative pillar. We have 2.8 million kids in government schools in Florida. 50% of them cannot read at grade level or do math at grade level. And 75% of our third graders cannot read at a proficiency level four or five. Those are facts. Those are not our numbers. Those numbers are, are proven facts from various or, or organizations. So what we do is we work uh, through the legislative pillar to try to improve the lot uh, and the opportunities for kids in government schools. But at the end of the day, our, our mission really is to help moms and dads understand uh, really what's going on and find a way to get out which leads us to our second pillar, which is a community focus. Uh, we are building what we call kids first teams. The notion behind there is, is uh, uh, local teams that are engaging their whole community, not just their school boards, but their whole community in helping understand what's going on in our schools and finding alternatives. And that leads to the third pillar, which is solutions. Uh, we've been very supportive of Florida's uh, scholarship programs, which are ways to get out. Uh, we've been particularly strong advocate for the Hope Scholarship, which is an amazing opportunity for any parent who believes their child is being bullied by the school system. And this year we've kicked off a major initiative uh, to help moms and dads, Christian moms and dads, build one-room schoolhouses, minis, micros. And so we're building a grassroots coalition of, of ambassadors, think of them as consultants, to come as, uh, alongside parents and find a way to get their kids out of government schools. I'm Roger Ganim. I work for Liberty Council, and we are a, a Christian uh, litigation, education, and public policy organization. Uh, I personally work on the litigation side of that, uh, handling uh, constitutional religious liberty and free speech litigation uh, around the country, from Florida to Hawaii to Maine and, and everywhere in between. Uh, we stay very busy. Um, you know, right here in Florida, uh, we've enjoyed some uh, some recent uh, victories involving uh, counseling bans where uh, young people are prohibited from going to see a, a psychologist or just having a, a some some therapy uh, to deal with unwanted or, or gender confusion. Uh, and thankfully, we were able to get some good decisions that uh, that made those those types of counseling bans uh, illegal uh, throughout uh, Florida, Georgia, and Alabama. And uh, because of some other litigation related to that, it'll probably go to the Supreme Court. Uh, so that's just one example. But uh, we uh, we definitely want to represent families, uh, Christian families who run into uh, bad laws, uh, bad regulation, and, and restrictions on their religious liberty and free speech. Hi, I'm Patty Sullivan with Parental Rights Florida, and our national organization was founded by uh, Michael Ferris, who also founded HSLDA. In 2012, my husband and I became the grassroots leader, leaders for Parental Rights Florida. Um, we're not a non-for-profit, we're not a 501c3 or a 501c4. We felt very strongly at the time, we were just parents, and we were approaching different legislators uh, for a number of years to get simple parents' rights, 
common sense language passed. Basically, parental rights are a fundamental right to determine what's in the best interest of your own children in regard to their upbringing, their well-being, and their education. And we kept approaching different legislators throughout the years. Finally, in 2018, we brought it to our representative, now Senator Grawl, and she took our little paragraph and created the Parents' Bill of Rights. And uh, we do have our paragraph in there, by the way. And so it did take us three years to begin to uh, get to a place where that bill finally passed. And there was a lot of disappointment, a lot of pain in the midst of all of that, including watching it be sabotaged by people in my own party in the second year of that movement. I grew a lot, uh, I saw a lot, and I also began to see the different opposition groups in that setting. And after thousands of hours of research as a mom, just a simple mom, uh, we were also uncovered a lot of things that were happening in the school districts. One of the videos I found is being used in a federal lawsuit right now for January Littlejohn in her case. And again, it was just because we began to pay attention and started to do research behind the scenes and find those things. And so um, anyway, the bill passed at just the right time as things were happening in the public school education system throughout the, throughout the nation. But now what we're working on, and this little booklet here is to help parents understand the Parents' Bill of Rights. I put it in the common language. And then right now we are pushing for a federal uh, amendment to the U.S. Constitution, uh, working with organizations. We have a Congresswoman Lesko uh, from Arizona who has it um, uh, reintroduced. That was originally the reason we started the organization, was to push back on the U.N. Treaty of the Rights of the Child. So um, we are looking to get this parental rights amendment put on the U.S. Constitution. We have Florida, uh, two Florida congressmen uh, uh, logged on as co-sponsors already, and every Florida parent can go to our website and find your district representative, your congressman or congresswoman, and um, call them. We make it easy, give you the language. So that is our new push right now, along with uh, continuing to fight for parental rights here in Florida because many levels of government and organizations and entities need to come up with speed in changing how they view their involvement with our children. So. We'll go ahead and get our, our questions, uh, start with our panel with our questions. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna kind of direct this question to one of our panelists, but I would also like any other uh, panelists to, to just to, to chime in on this, this question. What, what we've seen in the, in the way of relativism in, um, in our nation, um, more than I have ever seen before, is the attack is not necessarily on the adults. The attack is becoming on, on young people. And um, the question I have is this, how do we defend families from these attacks when society is actually using the young people um, to instill in young people that there are no absolutes. Um, it's a direct contrast and a direct contradiction to, to families. And uh, the question I would have is how, is we, how can we as parents defend that? And I'm gonna go ahead and start with Patty and to start off with that, that conversation. Um, I mean, I think initially we need uh, what we began to see in, in as we pushed forward with these uh, Parents' Bill of Rights, um, parents, especially younger parents, 20s and 30s, that's one of the reasons I ended up putting this little booklet together is because they knew something was wrong, but they couldn't quite put their finger on it. And there seems to be like a bit of a gap in their understanding of parental rights themselves. 
and then which transfers into their ability to have responsibility as parents as well. So parental rights and parental responsibility go hand in hand. So I would say part of that pushback is to actually um, develop some uh, ways of reaching parents and giving and, and encouraging them to grow in their skill and their development and understanding not only what parental rights are, but actually their uh, parental responsibility to raise their children that even though they are, they may be in public school, they may be in private school, they may be in charter school, they may be in home school, but they're still ultimately responsible to oversee and, and know what their children are being taught. Um, I think it's important, uh, uh, the, the notion of relativism, and as it's been discussed in the past, is, is uh, I think, somewhat hard for folks, to, uh, parents to wrap their minds around. What we're seeing today in public schools is an extension of critical race theory. It's called social-emotional learning. And it, is, and it, and it starts in pre-K. And, and um, I like to put a, f a simple definition on that. And you've touched on it a, a bit, Randy. Um, Social-emotional uh, social learning is a clear statement that there are no absolute truths, only your individual truths that you believe in, and facts don't matter. And when you start teaching that to young ki very young children, uh, th they lose all perspective of, of, of character. And so I think what uh, we have some tools in Florida uh, the Hope Scholarship is a great one. If you're a parent and you believe your child is being threatened by social-emotional learning or, frankly, anything going on, all you have to do is file a complaint and you can uh, and sign a, a one-page notification form and you can get up to an $8,000 scholarship to send your child to a private school in Florida. But I think the big issue is we have to help parents understand what it is and then give them some tools to deal with it. and and, and most parents don't believe it's going on, so I think that's the challenge. Okay, yeah, I would just like to add that um, I think it's important that parents equip themselves spiritually and morally. Um, what we're seeing is an attack from the left. They want to tear down our country, and they do that. They tear down society by tearing down our culture. And if we ourselves are not equipped um, and understand what their motivation is, I think uh, Keith brought up, um, CRT. One of the um, one of the things that the proponents of CRT are trying to do is to tear down the nuclear family, and by doing that, um, they can get a foothold in. And um, basically, they're looking for cultural decay. They want to see our country in decline so that they can rebuild it in the Marxist um, ideology. So I think parents need to understand that's the motivation. And not only do they have to um, equip themselves morally and socially, but they also have to activate. And, and it's not enough just to you know say, hey, there's things wrong. They need to get involved. And um, that might be teeing up <laughs> um, my person here on the right. But. I, want to, I want to back up to um, something, the social-emotional learning. I remember when that term came out, and it sounds like a really nice term. It sounds like that um, it should be part of the education process, but that term is not what it is described. And many, many times the attack is they're using words that have nothing to do with what the terms and the words mean. They're redefining terms. And I think you hit on something, Keith, on the social emotional. I remember us fighting that, that, that issue in education in the state of Florida for years. 
and because parents wouldn't, they're like, well, don't you want your child to, you know, to be educated and, and understand, you know, how to, you know, socially interact with other students? That's not what this is about. That's not what this is about. And I appreciate your, basically, there is a drive. It is a drive to completely destroy the family so they can rebuild it on a, on a socialistic, communistic agenda. And I've I, I, I'm dead on. I think you all are both dead on on that. Is there any other comments y'all want to make on that? The, the next question is this, um, and, and I have personally seen this in education. Families um, are, for some reason, tend to ignore the technology uh, boom, and they're giving their children at younger and younger ages uh, the technology such as cell phones, uh, smartphones, and things of that nature. And I don't think they understand the damage that it's causing um, to, to our young people. And, and some of these other social platforms that young people are on. And the question I have to the panel is, what do we do about that? How can we um, get across to our families that this is one of the most damaging things that's happening to our young people? Because it, it is, it's re- um, in my opinion, it's, it's, it's completely deprogramming them and desensitizing them um, to cultural morality as we would know it. Um, so does anybody have any discussion on that? Well, I mean, you can tell that I'm a kid of the 80s when I say this, but just say no, be a hero. <laughs> and that was kind of a, uh, you know, say no to drugs part of it. Just say no. Um, I recently did some research on this. 89% of women have a Facebook page. And of those women, they spend an average of two hours a day on social media. The average adult spends two hours a day on social media. If our parents are doing it, our kids are following suit. And I'll be the first as a two-year-old and a five-year-old to limit as technology as much as I can because it's highly addictive. In fact, in when I was doing some research on it for children in Asian countries, that's an actual addiction now that they are addicted to electronics. Their children have been on it so much that they cannot function without having screen time. You know, so we've put things into our, our, you know, that's the whole way. And if you really study anybody who's come in and taken over a, uh, I'll just go to Hitler. If you look at his main thing, his main thing was if we can get them in preschool, we can we can get them. So that's the whole the whole point. Everything is pushed, and it's so hard. I mean, every here we are at the homeschool convention, and there's so many faith-based electronic things, and we're not going to get away from it because our entire society is built on technology now. It is unfortunately. I mean, even when we say 89% uh, of women are on Facebook. All of our groups have Facebook pages because that's the way to reach that market. That's how we communicate with people. It's become a whole new um, thing, and we're, we're not going to get away from it. Our children are not going to get away from it. But I agree, as we see, I'm seeing second and third graders come to church with cell phones. Second and third graders, that is completely uncensored content that they're getting they can see get on the internet as fast as we can my husband and i just had a whole conversation about uh, we have an ipad and i turn turn it all off and he said well he's going to figure that out in like five how to turn it back on so i guess the even more it's hard as christians i remember growing up and uh we weren't allowed to go to the movies growing up and i feel emotionally scarred from that no i don't you know what i mean like i didn't really miss out that much <laughs> 
<laughs> that I didn't go to the movies. Like, you know, I'm just saying my parents said no, and it didn't really end up hurting me. So I think on that, uh, we're not going to be able to get away from it. It's there. We do want our children to know about technology, but make sure you're guarding. I could tell you stories of homeschoolers, good homeschool families, who their kids were on Discord or different things and just went down that road. So I think that's part of what Keith, Keith is saying too, educating, 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 standing up and saying, this is wrong, like the pastors did in the 80s and um, continue to do that and just advocate for it. Um, yeah, I, I would uh, agree with that. What we did in our home, and of course my children are a little older, my youngest is 24, um, so we didn't have the smartphones at the very young age, but um, we had one central computer that was facing outward so that you know mom and dad were constantly walking by, we knew what the kids were doing online. Um, but it is getting harder and harder with the advent of cell phones and, and, um, and, but, but I think it's right. We do have to say no sometimes. Um, look at the apps. TikTok is, you know, one of the things we look at is the influence of communist China and that's one of the areas. Um, and we were really glad to see um, a bill passed in the Florida legislature that bans TikTok from government owned devices. We're, basically in a proxy war with China and they're using that as a spy tool and they're also using it to spread propaganda among our youth. Um, what they're doing on, um, on social media on TikTok is they're promoting math and engineering to the Chinese but twerking and porn to anyone in another country. Um, you know, so it's insidious what they're doing. Um, big tech is, is, is going along with it. Um, Apple disabled airdrop at the request of the communist Chinese um, that um, would allow the freedom seekers to communicate and get by the government censors. And by doing that, Apple caved in. It's the, China's the only country um, that they're doing that to. So, um, but yeah, social media can be very insidious. They say 6% of the Instagram users, um, teenage children that use Instagram have suicidal thoughts. Um, it harms their body image. So there's really good reasons why parents just need to say no. And um, yeah, it's gonna hurt, but it's the best thing for them. Um, Patty, you mentioned uh, Senator Grawl, who did amazing work on the parents' rights bill. Uh, I'm sure you're aware of the bill she put forward this year, 1620, which was an amazing bill that de deals directly with this whole issue of how um, the, the, the electromagnetic fields that are coming off of these devices are damaging young young kids' minds. And uh, she put, put that forth, and unfortunately it didn't get a lot of traction. I think it ended up running into some headwinds in the, in the house, which surprised me. Um, but we need to get behind that effort next year. I talked to her last week. She's gonna run that bill again. Uh, she may break it into a couple of pieces, but we need to get behind her uh, and, and support that because it'll go a long way towards prohibiting the use of these devices in, a, in our schools, which then will set a, a precedent and a tone for families to have some backbone when they just say no. 
I just want to add a couple of maybe practical thoughts. Uh, my, uh, I have a son who just graduated from college and a daughter who just graduated from high school. Um, and so he sort of missed the whole TikTok thing, but my daughter, you know, kind of is going through high school right in the, in the thick of it. Um, and I, I was just listening this morning to some interviews with some 15-year-olds about, uh, I think it's Montana that banned TikTok, and um, asking 15-year-olds their reactions. And it was interesting. They said, well, I know TikTok's a problem and I shouldn't be on it so much, but I don't want anyone telling me I can't be on it. Uh, I mean, it's classic, you know, teenager response. But I do think um, teenagers are listening and we can have communication with them. We have conversations with them. This is really important within families um, to talk about what the dangers are so that they can, you know, they can hear that from their parents, people they trust, um, and, and to some extent self-regulate. Now, they still need our guidance. And so the other practical thing is um, finding replacement activities, encouraging um, family activities, encouraging uh, work, uh, I mean, for teenagers in particular, uh, encouraging sort of vocational things or hobbies things that will replace that social media time with something that's more beneficial um, can be a good way to counteract it because it, it's here to stay I'm afraid and there, it's always going to be available to them uh, and one thing you have to watch, look out for is many uh, teachers even in schools are using you know snapchat and, and social media to communicate assignments and keep kids uh, you know on track in school so they really can't get away from it in, in the classroom even, but, um, but at home we can have, you know, I think healthy conversations and really as parents, we need to know what these applications do, really learn the technology ourselves and then be able to have conversations about what, what it's doing to them. Um, and I just, I, I just want to add to what everybody had said here is I want to, as an encouragement to families and parents who may be watching, it is never too late to start. So if there has been, you know, if some of this has been happening in your home, now is a good time to start all over again. And so don't, don't let the past issues of what may have happened with your children being on these different apps and these different things, or even your own issues of addiction toward technology or these things like that, keep you from moving forward and making a shift and a change. It is never too late. It's about recreating these boundaries within our families um, in the area of tech. Find somebody who understands it if you don't understand it. Look at these applications that are on these phones. There are hidden applications. There are lists on different websites, family-friendly websites that show you what's actually happening in these different apps. So take time, take time as a parent. Um, some of us grew up in broken homes, which I was one of those people. So I had those things, different, different ways of, of relating, but that did not keep me from making a choice to get the skills to be a good parent and to make my marriage work and then also do those things technology-wise of, of helping my daughter make right decisions and right choices. And so saying no is a good thing. I fortunately had a very compliant child that really didn't have those propensities, but at the same time, there, there were times we had to make those decisions to, to help bring guidance, turning things off, very practical, uh, uh, steps and tips of turning phones away, uh, turning them off or putting them away for a day and just inten being intentional about your relationship with your children. It is never too late to start over again with them. Good. Uh, Roger, I have a question for you down this same line. Um, on a lot of your social media platforms, there are, um, it, it's, it, it's increasing a lot of um, 
pornographic material on these platforms. And is there any way from a legislative standpoint, from a legal standpoint, can we keep that away from children? It's a, it's a great question. You know, throughout our history, there have been uh, various uh, legislative attempts to stop pornography, to stop strip clubs and things like that. And uh, the same First Amendment that we, uh, that we defend for our uh, religious liberty and our religious speech um, is used as a shield for, for much uh, pornographic content um, under the, the label of expression. Um, so I think that uh, legislatively, I think, you know, I think the, the goal and, and really the, the tactic is to push as hard as possible uh, and, and try to influence our legislators to push as hard as possible to, um, to limit the kinds of materials that can get into the hands of children. Because that's, um, that's what we're seeing is, is an area where you know, children, uh, they do have some you know, rights to uh, sort of guide what they, for themselves, what they read and take in. But, um, but you know, no one would think that it's permissible to put uh, Playboys, well, I should say no one, um, most people would agree it's not permissible to put Playboys and, and things like that in an elementary school library. Um, they, you know, people will say, oh, you just, you want to engage in censorship. And well, absolutely, we decide what is appropriate for, for young children and their school libraries. And we've seen a lot of that successfully legislated in Florida this year. Um, I think we can, we can try to do the same thing as far as children's access to that kind of content on social media, um, you know, through, through age restrictions. I, I think that there is room in the law for that. Uh, I think it's absolutely, you know, constitutional to give parents the ability to control what their children read and what they consume. Uh, and so if, if we can, uh, I think, focus on, on age restrictions on social media, uh, would, that would be an area to, to, to focus on to, to try to stop some of this access. But it also takes a lot of vigilance on the parts of parents to know what kinds of parental controls they can, uh, they can activate on their devices and within the, their Wi-Fi networks in their homes and things like that to also you know, provide re restrictions that are, that are more local. Uh, first of all, I'm not a lawyer, so I have to preface this. Um, we've had two major efforts and we're gonna continue them and we would appreciate all of your support. Uh, we have an obscenity statute, 847. It has the Miller test in it, which uh, most people don't know what the Miller test is, but it was handed down to us from a Supreme Court decision uh, for parents, for adults, and 30-some states adopted that and pulled it into uh, uh, the, the law we have for minors. And what it does is it, and the ALA, the American uh, uh, Lawyers uh, Library Association, uses it to the hilt. What they do is if they can get a, a material to, 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 to win an award, it demonstrates that it has literary value. That, that Miller test has no business in our obscenity laws, so we're going to mount an effort. We appreciate all your uh, support to do that. The other thing is we've, for two years now, we've tried to get an opt-in for sexually explicit material versus an opt-out so that all the power's in the hands of the parents I thought we had, we're going to get it done this year. Um, we had a hiccup at the last minute in the House. We're going to be back on that, over that target next year. So those are two things that we can do. And with a groundswell of grassroots support, I think we have a good shot of doing both. Well, that was media. And now, now let's go into um, entertainment. Um, and, and basically, the, the attacks, not just in social media, is happening, but it's also happening openly in entertainment. 
uh, one of my uh, colleagues yesterday, he was, uh, was talking to him on the phone and he had made a list. Uh, he's been working on just television shows alone. He made a list of five pages of, of um, television shows that were promoting um, LGBT agendas, uh, promoting uh, some kind or and or some kind of a socialism philosophy, uh, five pages of that. And um, he, he, in fact, he was supposed to get do those and work on movies, and he didn't even get to the movies just because of that. So the the, the next question I, I have is not just in movies, television shows. It's happening in um, entertainment, uh, entertainment parks. Disney has been a has been a huge focus um, in Florida alone just this past year. Um, Legoland. Um, everywhere you turn, there's there's entertainment being pushed and it's specifically being pushed on young people on children legoland how many adults go to legoland i mean you're you're going there because you obviously have children there so the question is as again what do we do how do we how do we uh, go through this minefield uh, with our young people is it we continue going to these locations these places uh continue um taking kids to movies and then telling them this is not appropriate or do we just how do we handle that well this is personally ruining my life and sucking my will to live as the mom of little kids um <laughs> really truly i mean you know we watch toy story and buzz lightyear and that's fun and this is part of my childhood and part of your children's childhood i mean Toy Story, Winnie the Pooh, these things that we thought Disney was safe. It was safe for our children to watch. That's what, you know, the Sunday night movie, my parents used to record it so that we could watch it. You know, this is part of my childhood. These are, are things I grew up with. So they take something like, you know, cars, which is every, I have two little boys, every little boy's dream, you know, the toys that we play with, the, the things we, you know, as, as small children, uh, Buzz Lightyear specifically and then come out and have a part in a movie where we can't even watch that movie, you know? And, and, and we're not targeting 12, 15 year olds. These are cartoons. This is specifically for, you know, if you look at Toy Story movies, that's a three to seven year old. You know, who buys those stuffed animals? Who, who does that? So we're marketing younger and younger children and it's really sad for me. It, it breaks my heart. Also, I live down the street from Legoland, so that also ruins my life. Um, so, and we live near, near Disney. So these things, um, you know, it's, it hurts, it's close. So where do we go? I mean, I, we know it's entertainment. Like I said, my parents didn't let us go to movies, but those were part of our, our life. You know, entertainment is part of our life. So are we going to have to go to where you can't watch TV? Because I personally have to screen almost every TV show my child, my kids watch. And then you could screen it, um, Pete the Cat. Pete the Cat is been a reading series for years that and they were simple words and you taught your kids how to read from Pete the Cat and all of a sudden it now has an agenda. And so I, I feel like the, the push is going to have to be for more Christian entertainment. You know, we used to have Veggie Tales. That's that's kind of gone away. What happened to our our organizations that were really pushing that Christian content that we could let our kids watch. We can't even watch VeggieTales now, and I'm not sure about the new VeggieTales coming out. Um, so it, it's a hard one. Like, this hits home to me really hard because 
I love movies. I enjoy watching movies. That's, you know, part of my childhood growing up. Um, the things that we let slip in the past, we now can't, and we have to screen everything. And even having the thing that says, okay, here's the, you know, the list, the list is this big. This is how many, I mean, there's hardly anything that doesn't have that agenda. And it breaks my heart, you know, as a mom, because saying no is hard, <laughs> you know, cause with Toy Story pushing a bad agenda, there's Mr. Potato Head. That's part of Toy Story. There's, you know, so many iconic things that get pushed with that. So I think that's such a personal choice for parents. And I feel like it's a, sacri a sacrifice and, and a little heartbreaking for me to have to do that. As old kids get older, they make better choices. They don't have to. But this is really affecting our younger moms and moms having to decide how, how much do we say no to. Does that make sense? It's hard to do that. Yeah, and um, and I think it is up to the families, the parents, to decide um, from a public policy perspective. It's one thing to ban TikTok from government-owned devices. It's another thing to you know ban it, um, you know, on privately held ones. So, um, so it's a little more difficult. You you want to um, you just have to balance. For example, the First Amendment with, um, you know, banning certain forms of entertainment that you may not agree with. Um, but there are ways to do it. I know um, there was a bill last session, it was HB 1438, where um, it banned children from venues that are showing explicit adult entertainment or strip, or strip clubs. So there are ways to do it, but it's not as cut and dry as mom and dad, again, saying no to that form of entertainment and finding the alternative, um, especially the Christian base that are going to uplift and give values to your children. Can I also say too, just a just a thought, and as we, you know, with with your young children too, it's helping moms understand how to, how to do that too. That's more of the educating with it because moms like me are sitting. Well, what do we do? What am I supposed to do if I want to? You know, if we we cut out all this, where am I supposed to go? What's the next step? And people do want to. Uh, you know, do that. But again, for some people, it is a huge sacrifice. Even our Christian schools, we've shown these movies for years as entertainment in our schools. So, you know, how, what is the alternative? We don't have anything to slide in there. I just, I want to kind of add to that just a little bit. When, um, when my kids were growing up, I have one in the room, so I have to be careful what I say. But um, I remember watching Dumbo. And I had no idea Dumbo was flying. It wasn't because of his ears, it was because he was drunk. I did not know that. And I was watching it with my kids. And, you know, it was a, did you just learn that? I'm yeah, sorry. I just, you just okay. learned it from me. I'm sorry. Well, we were watching, I was watching it with my kids. And I'm like, and I'm, I'm like, the guy's drinking. And then he starts flying. And I thought, oh, my goodness, what, what am I doing to my kids? And, <laughs> I grabbed it and I ripped it out. I was like, hey, well, let's go have something. Let's go do something else. I, I had no idea. And, and, and I'm looking back, and I, that's really funny, okay? But thinking, I was traumatized. I don't know if I think our kids were, but think about, now think about what we're dealing with. We're not, we're not dealing with Dumbo getting drunk, okay? We're, we're dealing with a lifestyle that's being sexualized on our children. That's what we're dealing with. And it's, it's a totally different world. 
I remember um, I, I used to speak at education with parents in education. I would always say it's between you and God of how you educate your child. If you choose to put them in a public school, if you choose, I still say that, but I'm really being dishonest with myself anymore. Um, I, I don't, I don't know how that as a parent that you can send your child to, for example, public school for eight hours a day and then deprogram him in the couple hours you have left. I just don't know how you do that. And, and I can't honestly say that. And this is one that's coming to this part is what do you do? Um, because, uh, you know, there, you know, you want to, you know, take your ch child to amusement park. They, you want to, for them to have fun, but then all of a sudden they are, they are directly going after your child. And when you realize that, um, what, what do you do with that? And, and this is becoming more and more difficult. And, and when I was a child, we didn't have to deal with this. Like my parents didn't have to talk to me about certain things until I was 15, 16, 17. It was just never talked about. Whereas I'm going to have to have those conversations. Parents have to have little kids, like a two and a five year old. They're going to start asking me questions at an earlier age. So parents have to be ready and equipped to say, you know, how to have those conversations now. Like we've never, I, I, no, this is a new generation. This is a new part of parenting that people aren't talking about. So just because they're pushing it in our media, he's going to go to somebody's house and see something that I don't approve. I mean, I remember as a first grader, and I'm still scarred for life, seeing Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds at one of my friend's houses, and it ruined me from birds for the rest of my life. They might attack us at any minute, but I'm just saying, or The Blob, or one of those. That's a whole different thing, but here we are, the same, same concept is coming up. So I think in the conversation we need to start, older parents need to start telling, helping the younger, I guess that's biblical, older parents helping these younger parents saying how to do that. We need a full restoration you know, between the generations. And, and, and the, what I noticed with the, the parents in their 20s and 30s, and this is not all of them, um, but I am living proof of someone who didn't have it. I didn't have a reference model for that. I actually was harmed by a middle school teacher in, in the 70s. So, um, and then I came face to face with the same kind of people that had done that to me, but I was just fighting for parental rights. But what I wanted to say in the context of what you're talking about is it is not too late. It is important for parents right now to begin to get the skills and the tools. We cannot re wait for someone else to do it and to hand it to us. We've been spending a lot of time putting our finger in the dike, trying to keep them from the deluge from having, and now the cracks are already there and, and the deluge has happened. But at the same time, we, we can't just keep doing that. We actually have to build and find resources where we can uh, do the opposite and we can be creative and not just always be on the offense or defense, I mean. And so there are resources that will help parents and to, to educate themselves and also in their, with their children. There are full ministries that are available to help people, uh, people who struggled with you know, transgender issues and who were able to reconcile and come back to uh, understanding the differences between men and women and be reconciled within, they have full ministries that are available to help parents 
um, understand this issue from a biblical perspective and then also the, the struggle of confusion in these types of things. Um, and and uh, there are full ministries for that. There are ministries to help uh, parents understand these sexual immoral issues uh, dealing with homosexuality. They, there are resources out there that are available and we need to access our th ourselves to those. Um, we, we are creating a list, my family and I, my husband and I, because we work a lot with these. I, I used to be an affiliate for, uh, to help with Exodus International and then that went off uh, of, of, uh, of the cliff. But there is Restored Hope Network now. There's Linda Seiler's Ministries. She herself dealt with transgender issues. These resources are out there. And one of the things I was really encouraged about, I spent some time in Tallahassee uh, uh, during the legislative session because my daughter was interning there. And, you know, we spent years fighting against things in regards to getting things done in legislatively. But one of the things I appreciated about what I saw with the uh, First Lady had done is with this education roundtable, she had a resiliency program where they're actually, it's a resiliency program where teachers and educators are going to be actually the DOE is going to be implementing it so they're going to have to go through these courses let parents go through these courses where they're going to put parents back into the classrooms starting in the fall so and I, when I when I heard that what I realized is not only were they just fighting all the woke stuff but they were actually proactively doing something to combat it to re, to not be reactive but responding to it and it comes across in these same ways with whole starbucks and targets i haven't shopped in target in nine years and that that for me started when they decided to let you know anyone go into the bathrooms at any time that was nine years ago and now they've come even more woke so we have to make decisions to boycott and be willing to do those things but also give our our children and ourselves if we don't understand these issues we can't wait for somebody to teach us we can't wait for somebody to come and give it to us we have to go find these resources but i guarantee you they are out there that's good um this one roger i'm going to get you to start this discussion this is the the question um, that we have now we're going to government. Government organizations um, have created non-discriminatory laws against calling out lifestyles that one disagrees with. We see this happening in uh, Canada um, and uh, now in California. Um, had some discussions with some people in California about some of these non-discriminatory laws that, that uh, the state has, has started to impose. Also, um, you know, government entities identifying parents who call out school boards. Um, as domestic terrorists. We have uh, uh, government entities tracking phones, banking information on conservatives without a warrant. And the question I would have is, you know, as parents, uh, for example, I was involved real recently in a school board issue. Um, I, you know, we, and I'm in the back of my mind, I'm constantly thinking, you know, um, am I being tracked on that? Am I being identified for that? So the question is, do we just stay out of that space? Do we just stay quiet? Or do we engage? From a legal standpoint, what can we do about that? Well, there's certainly a lot wrapped up in this. Um, you know, as Christians, we are faced with, um, with, with multiple commands for our, our conduct and how we interact with the world. You know, we're told on one hand, uh, as much as it depends on us to live at peace with everyone, uh, we're also told to love our neighbors. 
Um, and sometimes that can give us a sense that, you know, we should stay quiet or stay out of the way. Um, but, you know, we also can look back to the Old Testament when, uh, when the Israelites were in exile and, uh, and Jeremiah 29, when God's instructions to them, uh, it, it was to, to get, to build houses work to to get married and to marry sons and daughters but it also commanded them to seek the welfare of the city in which they live because in its welfare they would find their welfare um, so i think that the idea of loving our neighbor requires us sometimes to speak out for the sake of our neighbors even our neighbors who who oppose us uh, for their good it's our responsibility to speak out um, that doesn't mean that we want to pick every fight but it means that um, when we see bad policies and i don't I, I you know speaking to the people at this table especially who are all you know activists in one sort or another you, you know you know where i'm coming from but when we see bad policies that harm not only our families but our neighbors families even if they don't know it or even if they they think it's great um, we have some responsibility to speak out against that um, but what I want to stress is that um, it's it's great to have the resolve and the energy to to fight these battles um, but it's also very important how we do it uh, that we do it in a way that is beyond reproach because as people who identify as Christians who identify with the moral authority um, we are susceptible to much more attack and much more scrutiny and uh, and I always come back to this scripture it's in first uh, Peter chapter 3 um, it's a scripture that says that you know you know, even if you should suffer for righteousness sake you will be blessed have no fear of them nor be troubled but in your heart honor Christ the Lord is holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. We have to be reasonable. We have to know what CRT is. We have to know what social emotional learning is and what are the bad aspects of it. What are the things that are harmful? But then it goes on to says, um, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Um, we have to do it the right way, and, uh, and I'll just give you a couple of examples. Uh, we had a, uh, a, a dedicated grandfather who wanted, uh, more than anything, to expose uh, the CRT influence and the social-emotional learning type influence uh, at his granddaughter's school. This is up in the Northeast, and he would go outside on the sidewalk and, and hand out information for meetings like these or meetings of local groups that wanted to just instruct parents and other grandparents about what's going on. Um, but when he was challenged at one point, um, he didn't behave well. He cussed out the person who was challenging him, and he, he really behaved badly, and it's on videotape. And, you know, when he came to us, because we want to help families and activists and people who, who are willing to take a stand, um, we couldn't take on his case because the case was going to be about how badly he behaved, and it wasn't going to be about the issues involved. Um, if we keep our consciences clear, if we uh, do our advocacy in the right way that's beyond reproach, people are still going to slander us. You know, we're promised that. People are still going to say bad things about us, um, but it won't stick, and we'll be able to get through it and get on the other side and do things like pass, you know, parents' bills of rights and things like that. So um, the answer is no, we shouldn't just stay back. You, you might avoid the fight for a while, but eventually it's going to come to you. Um, we have to be prepared for it when it comes. How are you going to deal with a, a teacher who insists on using false pronouns? How are you going to deal with, um, with your child's interaction with another child who insists on using false pronouns? We have to be ready for that and know where are we going to draw the line and, and, and what are we going to do in response, and then do it with gentleness and respect. Do it uh, in a way that's beyond reproach.
Um, I also want to say that, to, to add to that, everybody here at this table has sacrificed family time, <laughs> lots of time. Every time I uh, go out and do something, it's, you know, they said today that you only get to do this once. You know, we only get to have our children. We only get to do that one time. So for me to go out and, and work on legislation, knowing the government is making a change, it is hard. It is something you struggle with because we only get to do this once. But I, I try to tell people that and educate moms and say, listen, this is why we want to spend the time because legislation, these issues aren't just for now. Legislation usually lasts for 10 to 15 years. So when we put a piece of legislation in, we're ensuring that freedom, not just for me, but for the next generation. And to really push that for moms to understand, you know, I don't really care what the political C looks like right now. I'm determined to make sure that we get some of these things put into legislation right now in Florida, specifically when we have a supermajority. That's why the legislators work so hard. Everybody like rallied and we worked really hard this session. So I think when we, we have to really let people know that yes, this is a sacrifice. Yes, every time you go to a meeting or every time you sit down and do um, research on a bill, that's time away from my family, that's time away from my children. But for me, I feel very strongly that it's not just for me, but it's for the next generation so that my children and my children's children will be free. So it is hard for me because I sometimes struggle with, do we help the school boards? Because, you know, or are, are they gone? Are we just going to say peace out? You know, in the 70s, the Christians said they took God out and the Christians said, okay, we're out. We're going to go start our own system. Um, so that was a good, that was a huge encouragement for me to, to understand that it's not just for us, it's for, you know, next generation. Karen, I've got a kind of question down the same line. Um, again, the, the attacks, uh, you know, I, I looked at some of the parents on these school boards, they're upset, they're mad. And, um, I mean, I don't think it's appropriate to cuss somebody out. So, uh, <laughs> but I, but I do think that that you know conservatives christians are being targeted um by our government i mean tracking phone and bank information that just came out in um in a whistleblower with the fbi is our government broken well definitely our government needs to be watched and um yes at times thrown out of office um and that's why um, we need to have courage that we outnumber them, but we have to organize and in order to be effective. But yeah, I mean, you look at um, all aspects of what they're doing. Um, they're proposing now to do central bank digital currency. Oh my, um, it's one thing to have cryptocurrency. I don't understand that too much, but I do know that it's loosely distributed. It's not, you know, under the control of the government. But do we want to give the government control and power to, um, you know, they, they see a posting on social media they don't like and be able to, with a flip of a switch, basically drain your bank account through the central currency. So um, we need to put controls in place. Um, when we see things like that, when the FBI is targeting parents who speak out at, at school boards, um, just know that sunlight is the best disinfectant. We need, we need to make everybody know. We outnumber them, and um, so we've, we've got to organize. We've got to activate. It's one thing to, you know, like I said earlier, equip yourself spiritually, you know, train your family correctly. 
Um, but we're always going to have to constantly, it's eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And, you know, we the people have to um, oversee our government because their tendency is to take away our freedom and rob us of our liberties. In the final moments, let's talk about education. Let's, let's talk about the good stuff. The postmodern influences come in many, many forms, and education is obviously a, a big influence. And I think if there's anything that you can say good about COVID, it's probably that. Because I think it was a wake-up call for parents. I think that they, many parents were actually watching the Zoom um, classrooms that, that their children were on. I think they actually saw what was really going on in, uh, in the classrooms. Um, and as a result of that, I think that parents start rising up. I think that's a result of angry parents at school boards. You know, I think that's, that's a lot of it. But as, as parents from a biblical worldview, what do, we, what do we do? There are all kinds of opportunities in education now um, that, that didn't, wasn't there. I mean, even when we... Um, we raised our children, um, we homeschooled them, and we were up against a lot of, of barriers. And to be honest about it, a lot of them were family barriers. <laughs> they weren't necessarily government, but family's like, you're crazy, what are you doing? You can't do that. Um, you can't put two sentences together, much less than educate your child. And uh, so the question is, you know, what are the opportunities that parents now have um, to, to get their kids out of public schools. And I'm just going to be really just gut honest that I think that um, I don't think there's, I don't think there's an option anymore in public school system. And I think that our legislature in the state of Florida has realized that. And I think that's the reason they've opened up the opportunities they, that they have in, in, um, for, for parents to educate their children. Well, I mean, if, if you do look at history, uh, public education was basically doing exactly what it was designed to do. And that was to indoctrinate and separate our children from us. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm, I am pretty much a purist when it comes to that. I do believe in homeschooling. I think we need to be educating our school at home. So I'm a product of public school. Um, but, and it took me a long time to un, get unindoctrinated. And a lot of that actually happened as I was educating my own child. And so, um, I think the the proactive ways that people are like what Keith is doing with uh, some of the micro schools. We have private schools that are you know coming to fruition. There, I saw one uh, area in our community. Um, some of the public school moms that that left, they brought the, they took their kids out because of COVID and what had happened to their children. Started homeschooling their children. Started working together. Created a micro school. It just kind of it just emerged and, and, and developed. Uh, these are those proactive ways that we can come together, not only as one family, but as a collective of families. Um, it's the new version of co-ops. I mean, we can still continue to have co-ops, but we can have micro schools. We can have hybrid schools where we're actually helping one another um, uh, educate our children. And then that way you have the parental influence and the parental oversight side by side with other parents who have um, your same values in mind, who you can trust with your children. I highly recommend that even in those settings right now, even with uh, Christian organizations and those types of things, it's very important that they update their policies, procedures, and protocols where they are honoring and, 
uh, the parents in those situations. One of the colleges, uh, the, the college that my daughter will be attending, um, uh, had, gave me an example of this. And I think that every micro school, any homeschooling co-op or whatever it may be in the, in the way of the future, one of the biggest changes that we can make is this. The college that she's attending, I went to their, uh, their, their uh, accepted students day and they had a panel and I asked the students and it's a, it's a well-known Christian, uh, doesn't take federal funding college. Um, and I asked them, I said, even though my daughter is going to be a college student here, um, what does your faculty, what does your school, what are the, what is the dynamics of your school where even if you have these adult young people in your care, what are you still doing to make sure that you're engaged with their parents and that you are encouraging them, them as 18 to 22 year olds to continue to stay engaged with their parents? And it was mind blowing. They literally, after some of the students answered, one of the uh, people actually said, if you notice, anytime your child gets an email from us, you're CC'd in on that. They're still including the, children, uh, the parents in that setting. So any micro school, anything that we do with our children in the future, whether it's homeschool, uh, co-ops or whatever, we should, be, we should be putting the Parents' Bill of Rights in that and making sure that every parent's rights are gonna be honored and respected in however we're educating their children and helping them along with their children. I think it's very important that we change those guidelines, we change those protocols and policies and procedures. And I've been working with multiple uh, uh, organizations that work with teenagers, and I've made different kind of um, uh, advice and input for them to change certain protocols and proto uh, cracks that were in the system that where they were withholding information from parents without even realizing it. Uh, Karen, you said it perfectly. Our schools are Marxist. Uh, and, and what we really need to do is help parents understand that uh, when they send their children to Caesar, they get Caesar back, right? And and we, I use the term Marxist in my school board meetings, and I get looked at like I'm nuts. People really don't understand that the that our education system is now controlled by the Marxist unions, and their sole mission is to tear down the family the family values. And until we can help parents understand that, the fear that they have in terms of breaking out and starting a micro school. Uh, or doing a co-op. Uh, I, I, I had a doctor two months ago, a uh, young mom, tell me that she wasn't smart enough to educate her child. That's because we've been schooled. For those of you who know Sam Sorbo, that's one of her favorite topics. We've got to unschool ourselves and realize and then help those parents come alongside them. The other big challenge we have, and I told you I wasn't a lawyer, I'm also not a pastor. But I tell you, the pastors in this country have to wake up. They have to wake up and they gotta stop dealing with the, the, the religious lane and start dealing with scripture and the Bible as it relates to our culture. And until that happens, until that awakening really happens, and I'm beginning to see some signs of it, 
but we need to uh, we need to help them and and sometimes it's tough and it's hard not to be gentle when you do that i want to close with this and and we were homeschooling our kids when when um, they were smaller and um we were we were concerned we were going to ruin our children uh, we were very concerned about that and somebody came alongside of us that were was extremely successful um homeschooling their children they had i think seven children um and they said this they said randy if you care about your children your worst day as a homeschooler is going to be better than any public school can ever experience and um, I, i'll never forget that because there were days that we felt that way um, we felt like we were ruining our kids but um you know by the grace of god it was successful and i want to just encourage uh, you know homeschoolers um, whatever avenue you choose to you are in charge of your children's education you are char in charge nobody else says god gave you that responsibility and um, I, I trust that you take it extremely seriously and understand what we're doing. Thank you again. Uh, it's Randy Osborne, Worldview Truth. Uh, it's on your favorite podcast. And I will be posting um, not only on that podcast, but I'll be posting all the websites uh, to the panel here today. So thank you and God bless y'all. Worldview Truth.